one of our favorite activity was going to a cafe and get a bottomless coffee cup you know we had like this one place not too far from uh, from our home oh they 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 definitely spat in those cups, <laughs> yeah 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 oh for sure <laughs> Hey! So we just had a great conversation with one of my oldest friends, Dominic DeForge, uh, who is also one of the world builders and world directors at Far Cry 6 and all the previous franchises, which was... Which was incredible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and also, just like, you know, a testament, like, you, you're like, you're friends with good people. Like, what a nice guy. And, oh, and yeah, you know, yeah. in terms of... But in terms of world building, you know, the world building of video games is not dissimilar from... Well, world builders in Dungeons and Dragons, and um, you know Dominic's amazing. Uh, just a little bit about him: he's worked on uh, Far Cry Six, Five, Four, Three, um, Sean White's skateboarding, Prince of Persia, Tripping the Rift, Far Cry Instincts, uh, Far Cry Instincts Predator. I mean, he's just he's just a, a really great guy, and he's like sort of in charge of what would you call it, Phaedra? The the sandbox of the game, the open world aspects. I, I would call it he's in charge of the world building. Uh, and of the sandbox, the open world elements that make up the DNA and the sort of fabric of what you experience when you're playing an, uh, an open world game. It's a good conversation. Stick around. Guys. So here we go. Welcome to Bard Quest Empire. Dominic LaForge, one of my oldest friends. It's great to have you here on Bard Quest Empire, where we talk D&D and storytelling. And Dominic is a video game person. <laughs> Master of the universe. I, I'm a world a director. World director. At, it's amazing. Yourself. Yes. Tell us yeah. for the layperson who doesn't know what that means, what that what, what that entails, and how you started doing that. Maybe tell us your origin story of how you how you got into that, and then we'll get into your D and D origin story and all that. Oh, gee. Um, I first got involved in um in, in world building on Far Cry Three. Far Cry Three was still a time where. The open world was still considered like the, um, uh, should I say, like the uh, red-headed stepchild uh, of oh. a video game. You know, you had you you had the main campaign, which was very important. Everybody was kind of thrown at it. You know, like all the big heads, you know, get, getting involved. And then you had the open world section, which was more sort of like, nah, you know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll do what we can. Throw the weird kids um, a bone. So Here, in. yeah, basically. Yeah, well, pretty much, you know. And, and oddly enough, uh, that the fact that the open world was not a big component allowed us a lot of creative freedom you know they they, they wouldn't really um watch us oh, as wow. much they wouldn't really like follow what was going on so it gave us a lot of um, uh, options to just kind of like spur of the moment like ah let's just can you give us an example crazy. of uh, something crazy like is there like a Oh, anything, anything. I mean, I think that's one thing that's fascinating about creating a, a, an open world game is that spur of the moment, one week, somebody could come up with an idea and um, you're going to be like, and a crazy example you're like what about what if there was like a serial killer in this open world and you know if you explore if you go through various locations you know you can kind of start uh, like oh, getting cool. hints of like oh this is what he was and this is where he went and it's completely optional you know most people just doing the campaign are never going to see this but if you are an avid open you world player and you want to the game or you want to see everything that the thing has yeah there you go. You know, you'll be able to find all of those environmental storytelling occurring inside of the world. Um, and, you know, they, they, they liked what I did on Far Cry 3. So, you know, on Far Cry 4, I was in charge of the open world. 
Um, and that entails a lot of things, and I don't want to bore you with all the all well, the details. Well, you're not this boring us at all. First of all, let's like, give a little background on the Far Cry uh, uh, franchise. It started out as like you're a Far Cry from civilization, right? Like that's the premise, and that you're basically on an island or somewhere remote where you can't get back to. We often refer to fish right. out of water. It is sort of like a a. a, a classic element of a Far Cry game is putting somebody in a situation where, you know, he's not used to it, he's not familiar with yeah. the environment. And it, it, you're kind of like playing on the player's fantasy of like, if I was put in this sort of really odd situation, I could also do the same thing as the main character yeah, and I would figure it out. This. I would start hunting and I would start... Yep. Yeah. You know those, but you know what you what you what you did in the game, and I I just played it for the first time uh, at Phaedra's uh, last night. He graciously invited me I over. Wonderful host, him and me and the cat Loki sat down on the couch, and we played. And I got to say, you know the obstacles in the game, the 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 puzzles that I was presented, I felt like I was inside a choose your own adventure. And also, wonderful, a lot of narrative, real hooks in there, right? Like almost felt like <laughs> I remember Eric going, "Oh, thank God." Got to a cutscene. He's like, <laughs> he's just like terrified. I'm like, I just wanted to get from one cutscene to the next and just put it down. Just like, you can like then watch and immerse in, in that kind of experience and you can experience the characters and the sort of the setting. And in that way, it's totally well, a role playing campaign that you're creating. I mean, I've, I've, I, I've acted in a lot of TV and a lot of movies and it felt like a combination of acting and watching and also, and also playing D and D. I mean, like it, it felt like, it felt like all of these like different parts of my life were coming together in this one mm -hmm. experience. It was really great. Well, well, that's the thing about an open world game. You know, we want to give, um, a player, um, the, the, the option to play out whichever fantasy that he wants, mm -hmm. you know. So oftentimes the campaign is going to be really like focused on something very specific. You know, in the case of a game like Far Cry 6 is we want the player to experience the um, the life of a um, rebel yeah. fighter, you know, of a guerrilla, of a freedom Libertad. fighter, like uh, fighting against the government and getting rid of this, you know, evil um, tyrant. Um, Definitely but, played by John Carlo Esposito. Oh my God, he's, he's incredible. Just like he oozes oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. presence, even in a Avatar format. Well, that's the thing about Far Cry games. You know, we we ever since Far Cry Three, we really focused on the main villain. Yes, you know, because the um, the your main story villain is only as good as, good as your BBEG, right? Exactly. You know, the the the. The bad guy is a reflection uh, of a certain, uh, to a certain extent, of, of the char player character. Oh. You know, if if we can face him against this truly evil, despicable but complex character, it makes the player character just as complex and just as like mm -hmm. uh, um, interesting to a certain extent. Wow. You are only as complex as your BBEG. That's, that's the T-shirt. I, I think that's a Eric's that. That merchandising and... for Quest Empire business. There you go. He's the George Lucas of the two. Guapo of them. is my Guapo is my emotional support animal. <laughs> I have to tell you that when when it came time for Phaedra, Phaedra was like, "Oh, you, I can pet the alligator." I was like, "No, no, don't do that." <laughs> and then he did it over and over and over again, and I was like, "Stop yeah. petting the alligator. We shouldn't do That's that. That's dangerous. Like, you lose a finger." Uh, yeah. So, so your 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 sort of main character that you get to play is in the midst of what's effectively a, a kind of a clampdown on a revolution at the same time, right? And mm -hmm. 
And and uh, how do you like? Where does that idea yeah, start? Yeah, did you guys come up with from that car- in a character room? for you, did or someone? It, it's very complex. Um, you know, the, the the very first thing that we do when we decide to make a new in, uh, in, installation of the Far Cry brand is, is to figure out a geographical location. So, you know, we, we look at the globe. And we're like, okay, where should we take Far Cry next? Are we going to go for like Africa? Are we going to go for Asia? Are we going to go for North America? We go Be South honest, you America? guys are just trying to go to vacation spots, right? Like if I see if I see Far Cry <laughs> oh, yeah. Fiji uh, next year, I'm going to be like Dominic LaForge. Yeah, there you go. There you go. No, because that is the first step, you know. Um, it takes it, it takes a little a little while because, you know, we, we have a lot of options. You know, we start off with a lot of options and we kind of meet up with the core team and kind of break it down into okay which one do we feel is going to be the most interesting for the player and, and you know this time around we end, we landed in in Cuba so from Cuba we start digging down okay what is Cuba what does it mean to make a far cry game in Cuba what's the culture like what's the geography like what's the uh, geology like the vegetation everything we just essentially do a deep dive and this is a super uh interesting and exciting time for the game because you're basically like reading all about this place and trying to figure out like oh, what would be interesting and and you come up on like mythology about the Beams. place you come up on yeah. on uh, a bunch of things and it's super exciting and then the next step is we usually go on site through um uh, various like uh, people we we connect with people in cuba and we're like okay listen you know we want to go over to cuba we want to do some photos because you know we we have a project going on. We can't really say what project it is, so uh-huh. it, it's a bit sort of ush ush. But uh, we go we go on site and we travel all over the place and, and wow. take my God thousands and th- like hundreds of thousands of pictures, super high res picture, all over the island, you know. <laughs> Which leads to very interesting situation because you know whether it's uh, Cuba, Montana, anywhere. You, you always end up going to places that nobody else goes, mm-hmm. you know. Huh. I I research Cuba very much, like to, to like my new details, and sometimes you know something clicks. You know, I see a village. And I'm you're like, doing oh, more than God, just the village. tourism thing. You're doing the lived-in experience. Of- I got I gotta put this village in Far Cry, so I'll. You know, we end up going to this village, and nobody goes to right. this village. You know, it's not you know a touristy yeah, sort of location. A, a spot. It, it, yeah, it's just a spot. But to me, it's super, it's super interesting. Wow. So, so we we land there. Three guys with like really expensive cameras jump out of the car, start spreading through the village, and start <laughs> taking pictures of everything that we see. Amazing. Los and at first, like, some... yeah, what's going on? What's going on? So we have we got a lot of reca- reaction from from the locals, uh, obviously. But uh, you know, we, we try to like keep it. Um, you know, we we don't want to go there and just kind of like ah, we just gotta take pictures. We, we gotta make a connection. You know, right, so we gotta totally. start. We gotta start talking to the wow. people. We gotta start sort of explaining to a certain extent. Do as you much as do we you can, translate you know, those people doing? into NPCs in your game? Do you have like actual like direct correlates or not quite no, not as that, direct as that we we totally get inspired by the people that we meet um there's no doubt no but we do not like literally Copy like pasta, um, take yeah. people 
No, no, that that would be uh, <laughs> that, Com- that complicated. That would be yeah. complicated. Yeah, that would right. uh, that would certainly like create certain issues. But no, yeah. uh, we we definitely do get inspired. I mean, there is a reason why we want to go on site. You know, well, what kind it, of? Well, I, I want to drill down on that for a second yeah. because you know, as a as a as a, a dungeon master, but also as a as a screenwriter now. Um, I, I find that research is phenomenally important. Are there other kinds of influences outside of just the history itself? Do you go to movies and books and stuff like that? Are you going to other sources for inspiration on things, or is it, or is it mostly your your lived experience? You're literally doing what, the equivalent of what you're doing is you're interviewing a location mm-hmm. by taking all these yeah. pictures. But what are, are are there other sort of influences on you as well artistically? There are. I, I'm not going to speak for the narrative team. I'm not going to speak for the sound <laughs> team. Um, uh-huh. They do their own, th- their own thing. As far as world building goes, I try not to get influenced by a lot of different medias. You know, Because if I look at a movie that was based around Cuba, I'm going to get somebody's interpretation of what is Cuba. You want to get a clean palette of what it is. Yeah, with with fresh eyes and and make my own interpretation of what that place was about, you know. So going there and landing on the ground and talking to people and starting to understand like little quirks that people have there, this is the most important thing for me. I don't want somebody's interpretation. I want to be on the ground and figuring it out myself and, and, and that's what it is, you know. It's a It's a beautiful... Beautiful What's cool about process. that, and it sort of takes me back to what you were saying about the fish out of water, is you're the fish out of water in that case, and you're translating your experience almost directly to exactly. the player <laughs> character experience, right? So, yeah, that's that. I could see why that, that ties in and works so beautifully. I remember when I was playing Far mm-hmm. Cry Primal, I don't, I don't know if you you were involved but there was like swear words in in cavemen that they had in there that i started like throwing into my daily life i don't remember what they are now but it was like <laughs> it's good enough that i was like <laughs> some full immersion <laughs> but yeah it's totally immersive the whole experience of the far cry games uh mm-hmm. so I, I i totally get what you're saying about inhabiting a location and translating that can we can i ask about is that related to your experience as a DM? Because I know you were a DM. As a matter of fact, you were my yeah. DM for a long time. But uh, can you speak about that and how, how that is connected or if that is connected? Well, it's one of those things, you know, like with, you know, as you get older, you look back at your life and you realize like everything was mapped out. You know? Everything was connected mm-hmm. somehow. You didn't notice it back then. Mm-hmm. But, you know, creating world was always part of right. my life you know i remember being like um in, in 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 high school making up worlds you know for me the process of just imagining places you know like oh you know the, this village has got this it's got a church and it's got this little castle in the back and the people this village you know they're very wary of, of like uh, in uh, like outsiders coming all of this you know to me that was always part of my life it's something that i always fa- was fascinated uh, with you know like the creation of, of places of imaginary places it's immensely right. powerful it really is how did you how did you yeah what was your D origin story oh and if geez. you remember your first um, character if i remember <laughs> oh geez no i i don't know um my origin of dnd i remember going over to like um, family friends and, and seeing the classic red the box, red box. 
No, the, I think that was first Eric edition. always goes back to the red yes, box. Yes, it was. The red box. I yeah. Was, yeah, I was like, I was born wow. inside the red <laughs> whoa, box. Whoa, 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 this is a family show. Well, wait, whoa, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is that the, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, okay. What a beautiful design, though. Yeah, you know, really. Yeah, you, you see it, and it just brings back. Do you memories. still have it? I Do you love still it. have one? No, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I remember the exact color of the dice. There were these mm-hmm. orange dice that came with the red box. What my red box had orange dice. I'm sure there were other colors too. But these, and you got to color in the the numbers yourself with a crayon. Wow! Wow! Yeah, Ooh. it was pretty. Do you cool. remember? So, uh, so, was this the '80s or? Yeah, it's '80s. Yeah, that was in the '80s. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I did not actually get to play. You know, I remember seeing it and being uh, affected by it. I was like, "Wow!" Oh, what so you is didn't? That? You know, okay. Ta- I did not play first edition. You know, but I remember seeing the first edition whoa. box and going like, "Whoa!" So that was the first spark. Afterwards, you know, strangely enough, my first foray into role playing game was through a friend, and there was no rule book, uh, no dices. It was purely Role playing, so you know, narrative in its simplest like, form. I tried yeah, this. I remember, what like, exactly. It was like we were playing, uh, basically, like police officers in the future. And it was all about like, okay, so you're you're driving in your car, and all of a sudden, you know, you see a man walk in front of the street with a machine gun. What do you do? And you know, as a player, you had to react and and come up with something. And it wasn't based on like, oh well, roll a dice to try to figure out what happens. It was purely based on like, hmm. Is your reaction a smart one? Does it make sense? And we'd play along. We'd just like spend yeah. hours just storytelling. Almost more of a storytelling like improv going... game than like a. Yep. It hasn't had that yep. structured rule game element yet in it. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh no no! It was completely free form. We'd make up rules on the fly. We'd make up stuff. And, and to me, that that kind of cemented uh, what role playing was all about. It was pure. Uh, improv, pure, raw, unedited storytelling. You know, so I think it, it kind of shaped the way I would play role-playing games from from then on. Uh, my first real experience with like rule books and, and everything was the um, was second it, edition. Was it the blue, blue box? Blue, well, it was blue it was the Isle of Dread. Isle of Dread, I remember. Um, mm-hmm. But there were there were other there were other well that's cool okay so so that was your first experience with the rule books and stuff yeah it was a, a a friend of a friend he was from Montreal he was a bit older than us you know right like right around that edge where anybody like two years older than you was considered cool was like <laughs> totally. ah, you know you're sixteen exactly. that's insane oh my God. and yeah. It, it, <laughs> You're so you old. To girls. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. He introduced us to Advance uh, Dungeon and Dragon, and I was hooked right off the bat. But I think I was hooked to be a game master. Oh wow! Okay. Right away. You knew you were going to be a, a game master, even as a player. Oh yeah. Wow, oh yeah, right. for sure. You know, I I think my first character was a paladin. I cannot remember what his name was, but I'm sure it, it must have been atrocious. But to me, was the idea of like, oh, geez, look at this guy, you know. He's got like maps of the places we're going to. He's got a storyline. He's got characters. That was, wow, that blew my mind. And ever since that day, you know, for me, it was all about creation. In fact, I, I feel that most of the time, 
I would have so much more pleasure creating the adventure rather than playing it. You know, I, I would like, I would spend like days and days like doodling. You like guys, this is an audio medium, so you didn't see his eyes go crazy googly just now, but it was you know effective yeah. for the. <laughs> and then you know. Keep going. Yeah, go well, ahead. Then, you know, like Saturday would come and people would be like, oh, so is your adventure ready? I'd be like, oh, yeah, I got to play it now. All right. So, <laughs> sure. Why not? So the act of playing it felt like almost like uh, saying goodbye to the thing that you liked about it. To a certain extent, you know, and there was a part of me that was like, there's no way I can translate um, on paper what was inside of my mind, yeah. you know. Huh. To me, inside of my mind, you know, the, the village was alive. It, it existed for real. You know, I could tell every single detail. And I was like, how am I going to translate this to a bunch of people around a table? Did your players ever and, and surprise you, you with their collaborations or how they interpreted some of your stuff or changed what you were going to oh, do? Yeah. Or... Oh, that, man, that's the beautiful thing about D&D, isn't it? Uh, this this idea that you, you're going to create a world... And then people are gonna feed into this and, and give you more. Right. That that's that's awesome. I mean that that's I think that's what's kind of really sparked the passion. You know, I I, I remember times um, when I was a uh, I was skiing with, with my family. You know, every weekend you know we would go off and, and they they would ski and you know I, I enjoyed skiing. But down downhill or cross country? Dom is modest. He was like yeah. a ski you know rescue person uh, he's like a snowboarder oh, wow. and uh, uh and it's well, yeah see he, i'm i'm, I think I'm almost he uh, might have pulled me out of a tree when my legs were like sort of like tangled up in it oh yeah that that was an interesting yeah. experience i'm from i'm from minnesota i'm nearly canadian so uh there so you, you know there's there's that's my uh, that's my background <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But, but I remember um, convincing a couple of my friends over at the ski resort. We're like, guys, okay, I know this place inside of the ski lodge. It's under the stairs. You know, nobody goes there. Let's play D&D there. So it became a regular thing at the ski resort under the stairs. We had like a little like oh cross space where we That's would go and dungeon. we would play D&D. D&D &D. in oh, a dungeon, yeah. in, a, in a chalet. Yeah. Amazing. And, you know, everybody around was like, what are these kids doing? You know, there's, <laughs> there's a mountain, they can go out and ski, but no, every day they crawl under the stairs to roll some dice and make up stories about dragons and wizards. What is oh, going on? Oh, but that's on? even more perfect because you're surrounded by the setting. I don't know. It would prime yeah. my imagination for that kind of thing. Go to like mm -hmm. some dwarven mm -hmm. kingdom in your fantasy well, world while you're in the actual mountain in the real world. Anyway. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I always loved that, you know, like I, I think going on the in the countryside when I was young was was always something I really liked. You know, I was, um, you know, I, I, I think I think this is something that a lot of game masters share is we we like our solitude. We like our little moments of quietness where we can just kind of think. And, and one thing I would do is uh, I would get on a uh, on the chairlift which would get me almost to the top of the mountain. And then, you know, everybody would go down the hill. I would take off my skis, put them on, the sh on my shoulders, and would climb the rest Ooh. of the mountain. Because at the very, very top, it was complete silence. Complete silence. There was nobody around. And I would sit down, add snacks, and I would just write. You know, that, that was my getaway. That was my thing that I would do oh. where I would 
get away from the rest of the world at the top of a mountain and, and just lo, he stories. climbed the mountain and behold yeah, well, he I mean, came like down with the forgotten realms expansion set <laughs> yeah, there is a i mean there is a there is a we we do live you know for creatives i understand that impulse like it's the it's the times where i where i feel fallow where oh well then nothing's going on and it's really quiet but you know that solitude is incredibly important for a creator it's it's mm -hmm. it's uh it's the time where the these ideas kind of bubble to the surface well you talk about writers retreats and, and things like that where you can go away to like i mean that's how you create you guys created aftermath uh you and jeff right yeah, yeah, we went away to a we went away to a, a cabin somewhere and 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 uh, and wrote for four weeks, and 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 then came back with something that we could then like give to other people to see, you know, and mm -hmm. and that time alone with it was so important. I mean, it must be hard when you get these initial ideas and do. Is it hard ever for you to sort of give up the ideas to other people, or have you has that gotten easier over the years? You you have a you must have a huge team. How many people work on a on a how many collaborators work on a Far Cry game? It's incredibly fluid. You know, we start off um, what would be like preconception which is literally just a couple of people spitballing on what a uh, the next Far Cry could be. This is where you're deciding you know, where in the world it might be. Or... Yeah, where in the world. So maybe, you know, all in all, you're 10 people, maybe less, hmm. you know, just trying to figure out what it's going to be about. And, and the more you move in production, the more you kind of grow your team, you know. At first, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to get like 30 people to help us out with a few uh, things, then 100 people. And really, it's only when you hit production, basically really starting to build this, that you start hitting numbers like 300, 400 people. Wow. And then it keeps ramping. Um, all in all, you know, by the end of a Far Cry, you know, you, you've reached... Um, points where there's maybe like nine hundred, a thousand people, people working oh on, my on, on a God. It's like a production. I it's like a have... movie. It's it's in in terms of like it just it's they're just digital assets instead of like real life assets. I think right. That's a that's a mm -hmm. it's a that's that's incredible. When you're in the room with the ten people, and which is not dissimilar to playing a game with a group of people, what are the rules of the road in terms of? throwing out ideas and spitballing things. Do you have some like sort of guidelines for how that room should operate? What do, what are you looking for in a collaborator or in a room like that? Every production, every creation starts with chaos. You know? Whoa. It, 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 it's it, it's crazy. <laughs> no, but it, it's a whole bunch of people, very opinionated people, just kind of throwing ideas, you know, back and forth. You know, it should be this, you know, because of that. It should be this and this and this and this. And really what you're trying to do is just capture. Is there a game master uh, in there in that room or is it everyone kind of an equal? Well, I mean, everybody's kind of an equal, but down the, you know, eventually there's always somebody that's there to really, you know, Somebody call the shots. The decision, you know? yeah. Usually it's going to be the uh, creative director right. who's really there to be like, you know what, I've listened to everything. Let's go with right. this, you know. Uh, oftentimes it's going to be something that feels much more organic, yeah. you know. The, the, there is back and forth. There is like, uh, you know, I'm not too sure about this idea. Okay, let me come back tomorrow and convince you of, of whether it's not. Or sometimes, you know, you think your idea is very good, but you hear somebody else's idea huh. and you'd be like, wait that's a minute, that's, that's actually very interesting. You know, maybe there is something to it. And you yourself get excited about it. So I, I think one aspect of the equation is to be open-minded right. and not react on the spot and just kind of go like whoa this is crazy 
let me think about it. Let, let me like sit on it. I'll come back to you the, the next day. And sometimes, you know, like, wow, dude, I spent all night thinking about it. I, I, I like opened up my computer at like 10 at night and started like researching mm -hmm. it. And I'm on your side now. Let's, let's it strikes totally me as it, the know, same <laughs> quality that you look for in a good player around the table, right? Like listening, being open and not sort of contradictive or combative or well it's a, for me for me the best creative rooms are are egoless where everybody's in it for the for the team you know and and mm -hmm. and you know obviously you know as a as a game master i've got to sort of you know channel the energy in a certain way and see see where things go and stuff like that but it's a fairly egoless process of doing that i don't ever think of game mastering or sort of overseeing a larger narrative project as being in control because that's not that's not necessarily what creative right. You're serving the need. story, right? You have this feeling that you want to get the best story out. The best games share that too, where everybody's sort of around that um, that table, sort of trying to create the best experience, not necessarily yeah, trying to yeah. win, whatever that is. Although you guys do, can I pivot a little? You guys do provide all those opportunities for people in the game to experience. Like, if you want to just go in and win the game, you can just go in and like mm. shoot up a bunch of stuff, play it as a shooter. Well, well, that's the thing. I, I think my D&D &D experience affected immensely the way I want to build open world games. You know, to me, it was I was always fascinated by just providing a universe and, and just let people experience it the way they want to experience it. You know, it, sure. I mean, you can tell the player like, oh, this is your objective. You know, you really need to take that, take down this person. But really, what I want to give the the player is like, yeah. look at this place. You know, we recreated a slice of Montana. We recreated a slice of Cuba. G go out there, check it out, figure it out yourself. You know, you do, do you want to play um, the good guy? Do you want to play the villain? Do, do you want to you know go for it? Mm -hmm. You know, try it out. You know, you can play the game your way. You can experience what you want to experience. You wanna you want to climb this mountain? Go for it. And me as a game, like uh, as a world uh, director, I want to make sure that, you know, if somebody climbs this mountain, there is something up there, uh -huh. you know, there's something there that's going to make it worth the, worth the gonna, reward, whether it's bragging rights or yeah. something. And it's going to lead you somewhere. It's going to get you involved. It's going to get you like in, into situation where you're going to have like potential, like ethical choice. Ooh. Like, oh, what should I do in this situation? Yeah. You know, should I get involved? Should I not? Should I? This to me, this is the core of an open. We got it, actually. I have a question about morality because you mentioned morality in there. Mm -hmm. And in the game we played, we kind of came up to this point where you can either bribe guards or shoot them in Far Cry. Mm -hmm. And there was an interesting thing they said. Do you remember Eric? Where it was like, yeah, some of these guards are just trying to feed their families. It created a like, moral oh, quandary. Shit. Yeah, I was like, I can't just run around gutting people anymore without thinking about that at least necessarily and like i have to think about <laughs> we have this argument about what is lawful good right in, in the <laughs> right so right well it's it's i mean phaedra go ahead and say uh, my my i see steve rogers as as like sort of a lawful good type character Mm -hmm. You know, in, sure. in 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 the Avengers, what's your what's your I, I see what's your Tony version Stark of... as the lawful good version because he's like using the law even though he disagrees with it. Kind of that, that you know that you well, know that that's he's what... got to be lawful. I'm I'm not sure about that. He's quite fond of manipulating the system for his for but his that own is lawful advantage, good. You know? That is exactly what lawful good is. 
It's using the system no. to do good as you perceive if it. It's, but like, if uh, it's for Robin Hood, Robin Hood would like, be, yeah. If you're in a system that has slavery in it, mm-hmm. it, it that's the law. I, 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 if you're obeying the law, are okay. you a reformer yeah. in that, or are you are you lawful good if you're you know going to break the law? Or how does that work? I, I think I think he's a true neutral moving toward neutral good. That's right. my. That's so. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good ruling. <laughs> I had an experience as a first time Far Cry Six player. The second that. Uh, El, Pres- El Presidente came on the boat. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, they're introducing me to the big bad guy like right away. What is going on? And then when you guys revealed revealed the sun on the boat, it was a monster surprise to me. Not, not a spoiler, immediate- you guys. This is all in the first mission. But I immediately, I, I immediately wanted to save the kid. Like I was like, I want to help that kid. And I don't, again, I haven't played further into the game yet, but I, 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 and I don't know where it's going, but that impulse is alive in me as a, as a, as a first time uh, player. So thank you for that experience. It, it, it was a great imaginative moment. It was very Can I ask, cool. did you guys know you were writing or I don't, maybe, maybe you can't speak for your team, but do you guys know that you were getting Giancarlo Esposito or was that a surprise? Like, are you writing for him or is that like... It's a very fluid way uh, of working, you know. I, I think, you know, and I can't speak for film because I've never been in film. You know, my only experience with, like, more traditional sort of, like, media was uh, Tripping the Riff, mm-hmm. um, sort of a, oh, a TV 3D, series, like a sci-fi TV yeah. series. Yeah. I remember that. But but, but video game, um, like, the, the creation of a video game, the, the best way I can describe it is capturing something from the chaos you know everything happens at the same time you know it's it's really not one of those things where like everything is made sort of in a linear fashion while i'm building the world somebody's working on the story and while i'm somebody's working on the story somebody's doing the casting while somebody's doing the casting you know everything kind of happens at the same time and you're really just trying to like every week to like really feels seamless it feels like it's i mean maybe it's testament he's that good or you guys are that good but it feels like it all was like this is a perfect fit for us. yeah <laughs> well hey, here you go we i mean i think the 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 crux of it is that we we've learned to be adaptive you know one week you're gonna like come up with something new you're gonna be like hey guess what this is our villain and i'm gonna be like oh crap okay how am i gonna change the way i'm building this world to fit with this new character and vice versa, mm. you know, like if I say like, this is the world, you know, like this is our first sort of rough draft of the world. The narrative team is going to do the same. It's going to be, oh. oh, wow, that's not the way I saw it. How can I adapt a narrative uh-huh. to fit with this new context? So it's a Everybody's lot of like spur of the doing moment. Doing a lot of yes so and. Like, let's... A lot of yep. a lot of improving, a lot of like riffing off each other. Oh yeah, and everybody's like everybody. It sounds like you have to maintain a certain amount of flexibility to create an environment mm-hmm. where things were constant, where are constantly changing. Again, good oh, yeah. pr- good practice for being a Dungeons and Dragons player or game master, and also good oh, practice. Yeah. Good, <laughs> of course, and good practice. It's like, oh for, wait, <laughs> my players just killed my main villain right <laughs> off the beginning. Uh, uh, what ooh. am I gonna do? Okay, <laughs> uh, wait, I can fix this. I can fix wait, this. Wait, it was his decoy. I don't. <laughs> Can, I'm going to pivot back to uh, role playing a little bit and actually ask you a little bit about you created a system uh, at yeah. one point. Can you talk about that and how that came about and what spurred the oh, creation boy. of uh, 
uh, Recoil, I believe it was. Recoil. Oh, man, it's been a while. Um, like I said, you know, I, I was always uh, fascinated with creating uh, stories, creating places. And for the longest of time, you know, I, I was doing what everybody else is doing. It's like, I'm going to create this, you know, th this fantasy village or fantasy town inside of Forgotten Realm, inside of Ravenloft, yeah. inside of, you know, whatever existing universe, because that's what everybody that's what we had. Those uh, were would our do, tools, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and for a while, I was like, wait a minute, why, why am I limiting myself to what's out there when I could, like, do it from scratch you know and at first it was just curiosity but you know over like uh, there's one thing i gotta say you know like and, and phaser can kind of support this one of our favorite activity was going to a cafe and, and get a bottomless coffee cup you know we had like this one place not too far from uh, from our home oh they 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 definitely spat in those cups. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. No. <laughs> the deal with that place was like, you can come in, you can buy a cup of coffee, and we're just going to refill it whenever you want. But we would spend days there. I mean, like, I'd yeah. show up, like, in the afternoon, like, first customer of the day, and the guy would kind of be, you know, he's happy to see me but at the same he's like you're not giving you're not uh, i'm i'm not gonna make a penny like a, a profit off of you here's the two dollars <laughs> from area you know. <laughs> and i would spend hours and hours just like smoking cigarette and drinking coffee for hours and just like write i mean i wrote so many things and all like some of this stuff like eventually became something but most stuff just like eh, it was just words thrown on a piece of paper and, and slowly but surely i mean i came up with the concept of recall uh, and and the idea of this world was that uh magic comes back to the world and order um refuses um and this creates the recoil. It's basically those two cataclysmic forces colliding with each other and not one of them wanting to give way. And, and this breaks reality, essentially. So anything is possible, you know, like whether like you want, let's say you want to create like a uh, an adventure where it takes, it happens at the bottom of the sea. Well, it just so happens that this area of the sea you can breathe water, you know, like the laws of, of the physical reality do not exist there. You know, they've changed, you know, so oxygen is actually poisonous, whereas water you can breathe in and, and wow. live underwater. So recall was always for me uh, a world where anything was possible. You can just kind of come up on the fly, like floating cities, underground, like uh, mm. like world uh, people that died and came back. We weren't zombies. They just, they, they just like are un, just undying. You know? they, there's no way to just get rid of them, but they're not, not necessarily evil. They're just undying and they don't understand it themselves. But it was spur of the moment, sort of like, what do I want to do this weekend? You know, like I'm going to come up with something crazy and we'll kind of, we'll just kind of, kind of roll with it. And, and it did was, you play with, did you play a recoil with dice or was it more, uh, uh, yeah. okay. So with dice, what I loved about it is it was, I, I play, I was one of your, I don't know if you're, you would call me a play tester, Ulysses I, Stonebrow. Ah, oh, yes. That's a good character. <laughs> Ulysses Stonebrow. Oh, I, I remember. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was a he. He was my me first discovering my asshole side. It was great. <laughs> <laughs>
he was cool. Uh, yeah. But also, uh, you had said it like it was in our world. It was this yeah. world, but it was like a thousand or three thousand years in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so he... there was all these weird hints and relics and like, you know, as a player, I would be like, "What did you just drop Sears as a as a reference in the yep. story?" Like, yeah, cause, or... cause just to clarify, you know, recoil basically for a thousand year, roughly, like humanity was completely fucked up. You know, um, uh, everybody's mind um, memory had been wiped. So basically, uh, one day everything is fine. The next day, you don't know anything. But you don't know anything. Like you, you don't even know how to communicate. You don't know how to. Wow. Everything is new for you. You know, yeah, like you're not even familiar with the concept of eating. You just kind of get this feeling, and all of a sudden you get so hungry that you shove something in your mouth, and all of a sudden humanity starts understanding again. Like, mm, I gotta put stuff in my mouth to to survive. So for a thousand year, you know, humanity is completely fucked up. Um, and it's you play uh, the game of recall in the setting that it's a thousand years after that cataclysmic event where people are starting to get their stuff together, but you know, one. The physics of the world are completely broken, and people... There's magic now. People have abilities or don't, or... And and people do find relics of the old days, but they don't understand it. They don't know what it is. But every now and then, you know, there's there's certain types of people that study those relics and start understanding them. Like, oh, you know, we have this sword with, like, little jagged edges, and we figured out a way to, like, start it, and now it spins. It must have been, like, a, a warrior's, like, uh, tool. No, no, it was a chainsaw, but, I mean, for them, you know, it, it becomes something special, uh, and the ability to find those relics and make them work again was considered, like, a premium, so if you were able to fix old relics, you you would be a wealthy man. So it was kind of like Mad Max meets Lord of the Rings meets whatever you wanted, which yep. was kind of brilliant. But I also love that it was D6 exclusive, right? Yep. So Only I would D6. be like raiding my parents' board games, their backgammon sets. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, Fager, you know, where are the dice? Wait, Fager. Uh, I don't, what are you talking Fager. about? I don't know. What do you, what do you mean? Do you, don't, I, don't, I, I wasn't here. It wasn't me. Hold on. Where are the dice? <laughs> To be honest, I always uh, was a little bit annoyed with all the various dices, like a D4, D6, D8, D10, D12. To me, it, it, it represented how, how mathematical the whole thing began. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, you know, oh, should it be a D10 or should it be a D12? Really? Who, who cares? You know, like using a system that was entirely built around D6 kind of represented that. I don't really care. You know, like whatever happens, happens. <laughs> That's very um, punk rock of you. I appreciate the punk rock move on your part. Can you explain how you set a difficulty class or how you did something like that or how you handled that? Well, basically, it, it dealt a lot with luck right let's say i would say like oh this task is going to be like a a 20 difficulty and you have 3d6 you basically roll and if you hit 20 you'll make it but of course you know 20 i can't do it every single time you roll a six you get to re-roll it and add it so you would end up with like crazy amounts sometimes where Mm -hmm. you would like pick up the dice and roll three sixes oh crap i take it again roll them again right oh, roll again. Then two roll more again. sixes and then roll again yeah. another six and then roll it again another six so you could like oh wait, wait 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 and it's coming back to me i think you had i think at certain levels you gave some people the ability to re-roll fives or something like that or you got pluses to add to those so yeah I, 
Honestly, like let, let, let's be honest, I made up like rules on the fly. So. <laughs> I mean, yes, you totally like, very much could be possible. Like Nick is the game master that I referenced in a previous episode that would drop cows on people. Oh, I so love that. Like, yeah. I love. I heard about the. I heard about the drop cows, and I immediately fell in love with your style of gameplay. <laughs> there you go. No, but uh, was to that me... from Monty Python directly? Was that the vache that they were pitching? Or... The pitcher la vache. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, what is what is really the purpose of, of role-playing games? You know, it's to get together with a bunch of friends and have fun. You know, that, yeah. that's what it comes down to. So the rules, to me, were always secondary, tertiary. It's like, as long as people are having fun and getting excited about rolling dice, it's like, oh, holy crap, there was no way I could make it, but... I made it because of this stupid yeah. rule that I get to reroll sixes. I ended up like doing like an impossible task possible. You know, sometimes we'd end up with like situation of like, well, okay, well, technically speaking, you could shoot that button on that piece of machinery that would save you guys, you know, but it's like 200 yards away and you're u only using a pistol. So chances are like, man, they're, they're astronomical. You'd have to roll like a 40 on 3D6 and people would be like, you know what? I'll give it a try. And we had instances where like, oh my God, he actually made it. You know, he <laughs> rolled enough sixes and re-rolled that it happened. And to me, so that was... a cinematic thing where like you have high probability of like these really crazy success stories and also these spectacular failures, right? Yep. I think. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, and, and it creates a suspense. I mean, all of the good, all of the good, all of the good elements of a game. You know, I was, I was going through uh, my notes uh, on playing Far Cry and there were some... I Ideas that I came up with that that uh, I think are helpful for dungeon masters. Um, elements for good gaming in general. Some things I picked up from you guys are simple goals. You know, steal a boat, get out of Yara. That's something I totally understand. That's something that I want to do as a character. I like the choose your own adventure nature of it. I liked the puzzles, making obstacles real, so the victories are real as well. I, I felt a great sense of victory uh, when we acquired munitions pants. I just want to say that. <laughs> That munitions pants were my thing, and and almost also you know you get loot and prizes and also some self determination and mm -hmm. how you organize your gear. I mean these are all elements of a good Dungeons and Dragons game or a good video game. Well, it, it's one thing that play that you see played out in video games, just like in role playing game. The idea that it's a power fantasy, you know, that you start right. off as weak and you progressively get stronger. Right. And that you level up. Everybody loves that ding, right? Everybody loves getting the new ability oh, yeah. or choosing what next to do or how to shape their character. Well, I've I've always contended. I mean, I've said it before, and maybe I'm like saying an old saw. And if I am, we should cut this. But you know, you know, we're all on our own hero's journey, and it's nice to it's nice to be playing games and doing things that encapsulate that. Uh, how long? How long exactly is the full gameplay for your for the Far Cry Six? You know, I look at it as a movie, but how how long can I play that? Is it sixty hours or fifty hours? How 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 long is oh the? Game? If you're God. talking about like just the main storyline, and then like if you want a hundred percent, it, it's probably a lot more, right? But rough estimate. Oh gee, I I would not be able to tell you. Like it, it's so dependent on on the user yeah I and mean, what you do really it's really like it's how long you could take on a thing. you're always going to get situation because once we release a game you know we we do track a lot of the um 
player experience afterwards. You know, nowadays, you know, everybody's connected online to play video games. So we do get a lot of data coming back to us. And in a certain way, that helps us kind of like plan for the next one where we realize, oh, crap, you know, like these people, like a lot of the people didn't like this and a lot of people really like this. Well, one thing that always surprises us and like we, we try to plan for a game that's like, okay, you know, we'll make sure that, you know, it's minimum 25 hours campaign for this game. And then a couple of weeks down the line after we release, we realize, holy shit, you know, there's a couple of people that made it in six hours. What are they wow. doing? Are they just kind of like sprinting from one objective to another? Are they speedrunners? I don't know. Are, they so we always get are, they, are there a sequence that you have to follow? Are those people like breaking sequence? There wouldn't necessarily be. I, I don't think so. I think it's literally just like people having played the game and playing it again knowing exactly what they need to do exactly right. where they need to go and just um, going for the completion as fast as possible right but generally speaking we try to aim for a minimum of 20 hours for the campaign you know and uh it usually takes a bit more you know most people are going to go around 25 30 hours for the campaign uh and I mean, we're hoping that people are going to be enjoying the open world enough so that the experience can like translate into 40, 60, 80 hours. Right on. Oh, yeah. I've got a question about when you're, when you're creating a central character. You mentioned, mm-hmm. you mentioned going from being uh, incredibly sort of um, uh, weak and having nothing and moving, moving into positions of power uh, gradually. Um, what, what do you think is essential for, a, for, a, for me to want to inhabit uh, the the main character in this. What 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 are some essential elements that you put into the character that make me want to be a be be him or her? Well, the character needs to be relatable. You know, it's one thing that always comes down to like something that's very important for us in Far Cry. You know, of course, you know your your main player character could be like. Oh, he's got like 30 years of experience in the military. He's the like six foot five toughest guy. But is that going to relate to the character, or the, to the player? And, and that's one thing that we feel is very important for the Far Cry brand and for the open world is the idea that I can relate to that character. You know, whether it's the uh, uh, the, the way he looks, the way like they act, the, the 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 history of that character, I can relate to that character, and that makes it much more powerful. Because if you don't have that suspension of disbelief of like this is me then it, it, it completely changes the dynamic, you know, and, and in a first person shooter, you know, basically meaning that your camera is basically, uh, you know, the, 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 the character's like, you know, vision, you know, mm-hmm. whereas like compared to like third person camera, which is like over the shoulder, they're different dynamics and they're different fantasy. You know, if, if I'm looking at the character from a third person perspective, I don't feel like I'm, I'm at this person. I feel like I'm controlling the, this person. Whereas in a first person, I'm actually that person. I, I'm like slipping into that flesh suit and I'm becoming this character. Whoa, whoa. Did you just say flesh suit? <laughs> yep. Can you keep your extracurriculars out of our <laughs> podcast? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I, that's and an I, interesting way of looking at things. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, it is, and I, you know, Phaedra and I were talking too. You know, you you have as your two lead characters in the piece people of color too, which is incredibly important. Representation is is phenomenally important, and and you know, most of the video games I grew up on, it was amazing to me how often the hands, if it was a first person type situation, were Caucasian. 
And, and, you know, I actually believe that Far Cry has the ability to create empathy of, of a kind that, that I can experience in a good movie or a good book or a TV show, but it's a completely unique experience. I mean, you also, you also took me through different, like, I got to sort of, I got to sort of be him, but also be him in relation to other people. I got to see him interact in scenes a little bit, so it gave me a clue to sort of how I could play him or whatever, but I actually genuinely liked the protagonist when I when I first uh, first played him I, I I felt I felt um, you know possibly because the BBEG you created was so terrible but they're a reflection of each other like you said I I really felt compelled to do something for this island and for this nation you know it was a pretty profound experience yeah and actually I want to piggyback on that and ask it's interesting because you sort of set up the character the player character as sort of having I don't know how would you stat them uh, how would you class them to start, almost like a rogue fighter multi-class, right? And then, like, as you progress in the game, you have more option to be like, okay, maybe it's you're, maybe you're doing more artificer stuff, maybe you're doing more ranger stuff with the animal companions, or, mm-hmm. or maybe you're doubling down on the stealth. And it's more about how you play. And the other thing is, well, like, how do you set limits? It also seemed like you could do almost anything on the island. We were walking around, we are like, oh, it's really far to get to this next checkpoint. I wonder if you can drive... And Eric's like, I bet you can't drive. And then next thing you know, there's a jeep, and you're like, Hang on, bang, 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 take the jeep. And then I said, what? and then I said, Do you think they have horses? Like, and I, said, I haven't seen any horses. There can't be horses. horses. And then next thing you see, there's a horse. And like, <laughs> I'm getting on the horse. I have to get on the horse. Uh, Grand well, theft horse. I mean, well, the, the character, <laughs> the, the the character, we often try to, you know, engineer them in such a way that, you know they're up to interpretation you know it, it's good to give them a little bit of a background say like oh i used to be in the military but no more you know just enough to kind of like explain to the to the player like what, okay so i can, can do, do stuff i'm familiar with using guns and stuff but we leave it vague on a purpose you know because we want the player's interpretation of his own character, which he's going to play throughout the game, you know. Maybe my interpretation is that I was a very, you know, I don't know, I was a very, like, social person, whereas, like, somebody else's interpretation of the character is like, no, no, I was much more like um, a, a mental, yeah, sort of, right. like, I was more of a loner, I was more of a social butterfly, I was more of this, I was more of that, I was, I'm an extremely violent person, I'm not violent, you know. Interpretation will allow a player to get more invested in what's going on. Whereas if I dictate everything that is, you're playing somebody else. You know, you're 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 being the puppet master instead of being yeah, the puppet. You're doing more of a linear Well it's interesting because your plot is very much on the rails. Like it's not like you can deviate much from I don't know, I'm assuming traditionally in Far Cry games, there's maybe like a couple of alternates to your endings, right? There, there is. I mean, there, there's, you know, it's an un- unfortunate limitation of the way we build games that you. Know, well, yeah, we and and most AAA games, they don't have that. Like, there's like uh-huh. a few games that have like 200 possible endings, but they're so minutely different from each other that I don't know if you would call it that. But even what's fun to me is that regardless of the way the campaign um, ends up, you know, um, I, I like the micro decision you you guys yeah. mentioned before that you know oh i have the option to bribe a guard yeah. or i could just shoot him that to me 
is yeah, gonna yeah, yeah. make up your real role playing experience in this. You know, not necessarily what happens, you know, to the main storyline, but what about all your micro decision? Because you know, if you decide, you know what, I'm gonna be bribing these guards. You're kind of making up your character on the spot. You know, I'm the kind of person that will bribe other people to get away from like what I've done. Whereas if you're like, no way, I'm never gonna bribe these guys. You're creating another aspect of your character. Mm -hmm. Like I'm never gonna bribe people. I'm never gonna end up like playing up the system or something like this. So all of these micro decisions throughout your gameplay, whether it's 20 hours, 40 hours or 60, is gonna create a unique character just for you unique based on your unique decisions. Story, yeah, like oh, I didn't do it that way, or I, I didn't even see and, this and, quest and, tree. And that's the right. beauty of an open world game. You know, you can play yeah. the game and then chat with somebody and say like, oh, I did this, I did that, and somebody else will be like, really, I didn't do that. I did this completely right. different. You know, and the way I interpreted uh, the way the game was presented to me was completely different from you. Like, you what's know? what's your? What, I, you probably can't tell us anything that you're working on right now, can you? He's sworn to secrecy. You're sworn to secrecy? Can I ask you another roundabout way? Have you ever wanted to uh, work on a fantasy game or create a Far Cry fantasy kind of concept? Or is that even a thing that's possible? I remember in Primal, there was this, uh, you know, because everything that you don't know is magic, mm -hmm. there was this element of like the fire arrows and that stuff felt like magic, and that was cool. Uh, well well, ironically enough, I mean, that's sort of been part of the Far Cry DNA for a while. You know, we do a serious minded, grounded, realistic version of the game. And then we do like an offshoot, which is completely out there. You know, whether you're talking about Blood Dragon, whether you're talking about Primal or mm. New Dawn, they're basically non-canon sort of crazy ideas that we like, we, 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 we kind of like... Right, um, New Dawn is uh, purge. apocalyptic purge all of the weird ah, let's do robots that shoot lasers bam <laughs> and we do it and then you know we're good for the next one to be a bit more serious minded to be a bit more real and, yeah. oh that's interesting because i mean the, the, that, that sort of happens with adventures too where you have yeah. like one where you're like ah oh, we have to defeat the evil matriarch and the next one is a cheese heist absolutely but if you want to if you can put the two together yeah. Ooh. <laughs> there you go. The matriarch is after the evil rogue force. She's she's from <laughs> she's from Wisconsin. She, yeah, I I just I just you know I, I I can't thank you enough, Dom, for coming here today. Like I, I really it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and also just you know as a as a, a person who has a very addictive relationship to video games, I actually it was a it was a refreshing experience to 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 play for a couple hours and to watch Phaedra play for, for, for most of it, actually, because I'm, I'm good with a guitar. I'm not so good with the controllers. And good is a relative term. Uh, but he is very good with the guitar. Well, so are you. So is Phaedra. We, we play a lot together. I, I, play a, I play a mean set of spoons if, you, uh, Excellent. if you're looking to make hey, a band. Hey, we got a band. I think we should, I think we should do some stuff. <laughs> maybe, maybe for the next Far Cry 6 game. Uh, yeah, I would like you to know that our, we have a... We have a um, we have a most uh, most D and D song ever. However, we've changed ears because we know there's no relationship between Dungeons and Dragons and Far Cry. But we we have decided our most BBEG song ever this week uh, was composed by Pedro Bromfman from Far Cry the Six. Dictator's theme or whatever. Yeah, El Presidente's theme. theme. El Presidente. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. 
It's really like, and also I, the other thing that I liked as a music nerd, I loved the detail of music from the uh, from the island itself. Um, all of the music that played through the radio on the car and stuff, it's all available online for people if they want to listen to it, but it's really inspiring to listen to. All that stuff you sort of hear in the background on like a radio in a restaurant or a radio at somebody's house or you hear it in the car, it's all available for people to listen to. And the music's great. It's fun to hear that, you know, because so much of the way we build the world often leads us with production, with situations where like nobody's going to notice that. Nobody's going to care no, about I that. Think it's so, and people it's, do it's care. So much part of the whole thing yeah it's great mm -hmm. it, it pulls you in and yeah. I, is that part of how you guys do your research as well like when you're going around on site is that talking to people about music or how do you how do you collect that or is that a part of your process no, it, 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 it's all about it you know i i, I think you know it, it starts it starts off with our initial research where we want to understand what we're going to be creating you know what's it like there what are the people like what are their interests you know certain aspects of the game you know such as the um resolver you know yeah oh yeah it's not something that we kind of pulled out of nowhere it's something that's very true to cuba you know they they have limited well, it's access. because they have had limited parts and limited because of embargo right. stuff so they've had to like make wow yeah so, so if yeah if you have a 1940s car it's the only car you're gonna you, you're gonna probably be able to have you know and it's the car that you're going to give to your children so that car you need to fix constantly regardless of what model you know if i go to the garage right now and, and i got a honda fit and they say like oh sorry we don't have that part for the honda fit you know we need to order it in Cuba, there's no such thing as we don't have that part. Of course they don't have that part. They never have the part. <laughs> they have to figure it out. Like, oh, what could I use? Oh, okay, I'll just take this piece of pipe and I'll take like zip ties and I'll. they'll make it work. It's not going to be the perfect fit, yeah. but they'll make it work. They've become very, very uh, good at just kind of creating stuff from random pieces that they have around. What was the quote? Creating out of chaos? Yeah, creating out of chaos. Go. Yeah, that was a good one. And and also just like some lines from the piece that 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 got me like uh, uh these fish we will catch and release. I mean, there's a line that can be interpreted in like four or five different ways. When tyranny is law, revolution is order. And I I also got to say the Legends of 67 theme, that's my jam. Like I loved I loved uh what was his name? Uh Juan Juan Cortez. Juan Cortez, yeah. He was great. Yeah. <laughs> but we did want to pay homage to a certain extent uh, to the old revolutionaries. Sure. As much as like uh, what could be the next generation of freedom fighters. Sure, absolutely. I thought that was very compelling to see it's that there was lore. like, you know. It's great yeah. lore that's like also useful to the player character, right? Like you don't have to use that stuff. You don't have to use those paths, but the fact that you know about them and it's tied into the world, it's just another detail that helps you mm -hmm. kind of I mean, be I, more I think immersed. I, I, think. I think that's one of the things that I find fascinating after releasing a game is just to start surfing the internet, looking at videos of people playing the game and going like, oh, are they going to find all the stuff that I've hidden? Right. You know, like, oh, look under the bed, look under the bed. Oh, no, <laughs> he didn't look under the bed. Crap. Oh, no, it's like all the bunch of different things that we've added little detail elements and little easter eggs all bunch yeah. of that that we've put all over the place and there's a there's so many there's of that lot, you know huh? oh. there's stuff that i've put in there that i've forgotten and somebody finds oh, wow. i'm like 
Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that thing. There you go. I remember <laughs> right. that. Well, I, I got to thank you, uh, Dominic LaForge, for coming today. I just It's great to have a friend of Phaedra's here, and it's really nice to meet you. I hope we get to hang out sometime, and, and uh, I hope you'll come back when there's, uh, when there's a, new, uh, a new Far Cry uh, something or other to... Uh, Tell us to... about the Killer Robots Far Cry. I'm very yes, excited. Yes, absolutely. I'm on board. Yeah. Hey, anytime. It was fun. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dominic. It's really good having you here. This episode's most BBEG song ever is from the Far Cry 6 soundtrack by Pedro Bromfman. The song, El Presidente. You can check that out on our Spotify playlist. You can find us on Instagram at bardquest underscore empire. And on Twitter at bardquest-e. BardQuest Empire is produced by Bang Interrobang and Zach Murphy. Executive produced by Jessica Blank. Theme song by Tasha Blank. Sound effects provided by Darren West. I'm Eric Jensen. I'm Pedro L. Casey. Thank you for joining us at Bard Bard Quest Quest Empire. Empire.